This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. We have a great and heavy episode lined up for you. Today's guest is Millie Manders, lead vocalist for the English cross-genre ska-punk band Millie Manders and the Shut Up. Together, we break down the inspiration, recording, and release of the single, Silent Screams, taken from their 2020 debut album, Telling Truths, Breaking Ties. I truly never know what I'm getting into when I begin a new episode. Sometimes I take the lyrics for face value or make up some interpretation that is completely on the opposite end of the spectrum to what the song is actually about. Today was one of those days. Millie gets deeply personal and opens up about her struggles with depression and how suicidal thoughts in both her waking hours and her dreams gave way to her penning the lyrics for this track. She talks highly of producer John Mitchell, who was an integral component to how all the sounds of this track came to be. Millie's backing band are monsters, and if you can get past the lyrical content, this song is super fun, something I've always loved about ska and punk music, where you can take a super depressing lyric or subject matter and turn it into a party. For all this and a whole lot more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hey there, Millie. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I am fantastic. Where uh, where are you located today? Where where are you, where are you calling in from? I'm in Norwich, Norfolk, UK. I love Norwich. I love it. I love I love the uni there. We played there a bunch. It's fun. Yes, the LCR. Yes, yes. And there was another venue back in the day that we used to play long time ago. I don't remember though. It wouldn't have been Epic Studios because that's not been around for very long. To be honest, I don't know. Other than the university, I've owned. Oh, it might have been the waterfront. The waterfront. I was going to say the boat. The boathouse. The waterfront. Yeah. That's what it was called. Yes. That was many moons ago. <laughs> yeah. Still there. Still there. I, I do want to say something. Whoever wrote your press release, I, I have a, a bone to pick. I just want to say real quick. Um, it says uh, 2021 sees the band finishing the year with a headline tour and 2022 is already stacked up with writing sessions for their next album and a tour with heavyweights less than Jake. Listen, we're late in our career. You can't talk about our weight like that. Okay. So <laughs> I have a, whoever wrote that, I want to talk to them, but I want to jump into this song. Um, when did you write Silent Scream? T- tell me about it. Where, where were you? Set it up. So Silent Screams was written in 2020, uh, in the early part of 2020, just before I had my first major breakdown. Oh yeah. So it's, it's a very personal song uh, for me, Silent Screams. But actually, the first verse um, I wrote waking up out of a dream that was very much about what the first verse is about. So, OK, OK. And uh, wow. 
Um, <laughs> concerning the breakdown, um, do you care to share what was going on there in terms of you said your first breakdown? So you you had made it through your life without having uh, something of uh, this much turmoil? Uh, no, I mean I've I'd actually been prescribed antidepressants prior to that um, in sort of 2011, um, but I'd never had a breakdown as severe. That was my first real major breakdown where I had to take a month off work. Um, I had to go on to some quite heavy antidepressants and talk to some people about what I was going through at the time. And it wasn't anything particularly specific. There were certainly some triggers. Uh, my work was very stressful and things, but I would say that it was a buildup of various traumas and things that had happened over my life. Um, and they just it came to the fore and I was suddenly very heavily impacted by all of these things that I hadn't dealt with prior to that. Wow. Uh, f- thanks for sharing that. I think that uh, there's a stigma, as you know, that that uh, people, uh, uh, men and women, are afraid to talk about this. I know that most people, even if they want to admit it or not, have dealt with mental uh, issues. I know that I have. Um, yeah. And I don't know why that is. And um Thank you for sharing that. I don't know why uh, we should feel uh, embarrassed or ashamed to talk about what's going on inside. You know, uh, people have said to me before, you know, be kind to everybody because I've heard this saying, you never know what somebody's struggle is. You know, they might seem completely fine on uh, on the outside. Uh, Comedians come to mind. I think Robin Williams is probably the most prevalent in in terms of that, isn't he? Yeah. Um, In fact, he ended his own life um, and a lot of, his, you know, the memes and stuff that have come out with regards to things that he said in interviews and stuff all center around how uh, he projected this happiness for other people, but was unable to gain it for himself. And you're right, there is such a stigma around mental health. And that's part of the reason that I write so many songs about my own mental health. And at our shows, I talk a lot about being more open about it and, and removing that taboo. Do you feel that when you're on, and and I've been on antidepressants years ago, I went through a divorce and I had a rough patch where I just could hardly get out of bed. I didn't know what was going on with myself. And um, some people sometimes are able to wean themselves off. Other people need need lifelong medication and either way is fine. Um, I was able to to, to wean off after a period. I, I noticed for myself when I was on antidepressants that I kind of flatlined in a sense where I wasn't miserable, but I didn't have that nervous energy to want to write and to create. Have you been able to push push through that and be able to write? Because again, a lot of you know songwriters we uh, we thrive on on turmoil and pain to, to come up with great songs. Sometimes, sure. Sometimes I joke that I need somebody to come along and break my heart again because I haven't been in a relationship in ages, and I just need to write some more angry songs. Um, <laughs> 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 you're, well, you're right. You're right about the antidepressants. I am still on them. It's been over a year now, um, and certainly it's been more difficult for me to write songs aren't as forthcoming but uh, more recently I've started to find more of my energy again Um, and I'd certainly like to come off antidepressants but do you know what I've just started doing a master's alongside all of my work and touring so I think I'll keep them for a little while longer (laughs) (laughs) you you my friend are uh are putting a lot on your plate a master's degree yeah Uh uh-huh yeah oh gee well congratulations that's 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 really cool so you're writing the song and I see a black star amp and a couple of guitars behind you. Did you write the, the music and the lyrics both or, or what was your contribution? So not to Silent Screams, I didn't. I wrote all of the lyrics and the day that I wrote the lyrics, 
I sent them over to my guitarist and he found them quite moving. He said, listen, I've actually been working on this backing track. Have a listen to it. See what you think. And it just so happened that they paired perfectly serendipity, fate, whatever you want to call it. This particular track that James had created fit perfectly with these lyrics. And genuinely, the first time that I heard the backing track and sang through the lyrics to it, I, I cried afterwards because it was just it was one of those moments where it just felt so real and it brought all of my emotions right to the front um saying it back to myself so uh no i didn't write the music james did to that and then george and alex wrote their parts and, and don's horns came later i can hear the anger in this song and i've often said there's nothing to me more frightening than an angry british woman with the <laughs> accent okay i don't know what it is and i've thought this since i was a kid like I, if i hear like i would, would watch cartoons or tv shows when there'd be a you know an angry british lady and your accent's really prevalent in this song a lot of a lot of times when people sing you can't you can't tell where they're from it kind of kind of masks that and yeah. i can hear that so i think there's a little bit of that in here for me that makes me go "Ooh, she sounds really <laughs> tough you know and then i watch some of your live videos and you're just you're, you're very commanding uh okay. with the crowd and, and and that comes across but i can i can feel that uh that pain and that that anger in this track it comes through thank you yeah there was definitely um i think it was more desperation than anger but I think a lot of the time when you are that desperate when you are that low certainly rage comes a across as well doesn't it yeah and who produced this track because this song this song sounds great thank you um it's a guy called John Mitchell he did our whole album and John we went to because he had produced some early albums from some of our favorite people uh Yumi at Six, Lower Than Atlantis, Enter Shikari um and so we were really excited to work with somebody that had already done quite a lot of pop punk and and punk style music from some of our influences so yeah john mitchell yeah i like the song there's obviously the sky elements because of the horns yeah but it sounds like a modern production and i've been saying for the longest time i think people say what's next what's the fourth wave of sky you know and i i think it's Something like this with modern production, I think maybe some electronica elements. I think that's going to be going to be the next thing. And, uh, you know, this this track just screams modern, uh, but it has a has a retro feel at the same time. It's great. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I want to I want to jump into the song now. It's uh, uh, three and a half minutes long. Mm -hmm. uh, the first six seconds, it's this cool single guitar riff by itself. And uh, at six seconds, a single ride cymbal and a kick drum hit happen. Then a reverse cymbal fades up in volume as a four note guitar lick takes us into the drums, bass and horns uh, at 13 seconds until the verse starts at the 26 second mark. <laughs> I noticed the horns here, uh, you have two saxes and they're playing harmonies with, with, with each other. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think there's a trumpet in there as well. So okay. Dom is a ridiculously talented person. He makes me sick. He's so talented. Um, <laughs> and he, he picked up the trumpet something like two months before we went into the studio. And yeah, he just uh, he jammed that out 
That's insane. The like guys in my band uh, know this, and I've, I've shared it a couple of times. I've never blown into a horn in my life, and I've been in a band with guys with horns for 30 years. Yeah. A, because I'm pretty sure I can't do it, and B, a horn's just a personal instrument. You're not going to grab someone's horn and go, hey, let me let me, you know, stick my tongue and my, my saliva all over your horn. It's a bit like grabbing someone's face and kissing them without asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, guys like that, I've met them that are just virtuosos. They go, let me see that thing, and they'll pick it up and start messing around with it. And Like you said, two months later, they're they're playing a track on your record yeah exactly that's that's dom all over do you recall was this song ever demoed did you demo the song yeah we absolutely did um with all of the tracks uh james and i worked back and forth we would send ideas to each other um he's much better at things like uh logic and stuff so i might send him a, a guitar a really badly played few acoustic chords and and the lyrics and melody and then he would structure things for me uh, and then we'd send it out to the other guys to write their parts and come back together. We used Google Drive a lot because none of us actually live close to each other, which meant that the pre-production was largely done via email. Um, and mm. then those tracks were sent over to the producer uh, to begin the work there. And when you were speaking of his logic, you weren't talking his mental capacity. You meant the recording program for our listeners. Yes. Like most <laughs> artists, all of us lack common sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do everything in logic and, and, and thank God for technology. Like you just said, you can be all over the place and, and create. And yeah. it, it's so cool to know that band, the bands can do that because years ago you couldn't. When I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking which way's best to throw myself up buildings to land nicely on my head. It might be time to rethink the direction of my path. Take back control of the black hole that's swallowing my heart. Verse one, I want to I wanna read these lyrics and I'd like you to set them up for us. When I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking which way is best to throw myself off buildings, to land nicely on my head, it might be time to rethink the direction of my path, take back control of the black hole that's swallowing my heart. Yes. Dark. Yes. So as I said before, <laughs> that was, um, I was obviously in a very, very dark place at the time when this song came about. And the morning that I'd woken up from that, I was waking up out of a nightmare. And the nightmare specifically, uh, I'd, I'd quite like to put a trigger warning in here, by the way, for anybody listening. Uh, I am going to go into suicidal ideology. So in this nightmare, I was standing on top of a building and I was considering how I would throw myself off in order to definitely die, not to injure or maim myself or become uh, completely paralyzed because the idea even in my nightmare, the idea of waking up and being completely paralyzed and being able to be completely compassmentous about the fact that I had wanted to die um, was horrendous. So in, in my dream, the best way to die was to throw myself off backwards um, and to have a bend in my spine so that my neck would definitely break and implode my skull. So it was an incredibly dark moment and waking up out of that dream that's when I had to write it down and it actually it just came out in lyric form for me it was so right to me to make it into a song to try and ex try to express some of those really awful emotions that were happening for me at that point in my life so that was the first verse rarely am I at a loss for words oh I, you know I have experienced myself as I told you some depression um but again you never know somebody else's struggle I've never ever had a dream like that or felt those feelings before thank you for sharing those um it's incredibly brave and at the same time i'm sorry that you've ever had to feel that way thank you um i think 
it's gotten easier to talk about. Uh, previously, when I first started talking about these things and, and uh, talking publicly about it, it was really, really difficult. Um, and I would become unable to control my emotions and I would get that lump in my throat and find it very difficult to speak. And I think, you know, there's still an element of that, but largely I just feel so passionate about the idea that if I talk about it, if I talk about what I've been through, other people are going to be brave enough to start talking about what they are going through or have been through. And hopefully it will it'll help reach out to people and make them understand that really they're not alone. They're not the only people that have felt like this. And there is a way through. It goes back to something my, my grandmother used to say when I was a young kid is if you think you got it bad, someone always has it worse. Mm-hmm. And what you just shared is incredibly personal and a virtual hug right now to you. And something I'd like to say right now is let's celebrate uh, and, and we, can, we can continue to talk about this and interject when you need to. But let's celebrate how fun this song is, too. And that's what I've always loved about Scon Punk is you can have lyrics that are just insanely personal and painful and and but at the same time it's a party and if you're not listening to the lyrics you're just kind of you know going along uh, my band does that tons of bands do it and and I like that juxtaposition w- within this song thank you yeah um it's really important to me that that my music is fun um, and that it reaches out to people in an engaging way i mean i love a ballad i do i cannot write them I am not a ballad person. I just, yeah, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> In the same way that happy love songs are not something that I am able to write. They just come out sounding contrived. So, um, yeah, it's got to be bouncy. It's got to be fun. Uh, and it's got to be something that I can see people putting their hands up in the air to. Okay, yeah, and this song is fun. And I, I went and watched some some live videos of it, and, and the crowd loves it. And they're, they're going bonkers. And I, I'm assuming or you know, pretty sure that Probably most of the crowd doesn't know the actual, you know, story and the pain behind this song. They're just like I said, they're there because this song is yeah. so fun. Um, I don't know about the majority of the crowd, but um, I would say there's quite a lot of my fans. Again, people that I speak to online all of the time. Um, and I've had some very humbling moments where particularly men actually have come to me after lockdown during shows and said that my music has kind of saved their life, that they've listened to it over and over again because they've had thoughts and feelings that are similar and it's helped them to not feel alone and that as I say it's been a ridiculously humbling uh, totally unexpected moment um, when those have arisen so I think actually a lot of people in the audience especially those that are singing along to the words do do realize that it's that feeling of claustrophobia and that feeling of hopelessness and, and not knowing how to reach out or talk about that situation um, and that's been that's been really lovely that people have been brave enough to come and talk to me about that. Yeah, well, uh, something else I want to say, this band that you've put together, mm-hmm. they are incredible. Yes, they are. Musicians. Yeah. I mean, the musicianship on this is great. You know, this first verse, there's these syncopated drums uh, and the bass and guitars, and, and the guitars are doing this, this single note stuff, and the bass is playing off that, kind of noodling around, mm-hmm. and it's really cool. It's not like a traditional upstroke guitar or, or, or chords or, or, you know, eighth note palm muting stuff. It's this, you know, noodly riff that's happening that you're then putting the melody around. It's a really great, uh, great verse. Yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky with the team that I have together now. This particular lineup wrote the entire album together. And actually, James and George particularly had only been in the band for about six months when we started writing the album. Wow. Um, and George, our bassist, she has incredible talent for creating these beautiful bass riffs that 
don't interrupt anything else but have their own intricacy like floating along underneath and around things and I'm, I'm always in awe of my musicians because they are all as you say ridiculously talented the bass playing is unreal and you see her in the video and she just looks so unassuming and i'm sitting there watching going i know that's the bass player but i can't believe it and i mean that with with all my heart <laughs> yeah she almost looks bored doesn't she yes effortless yeah it really is for her as well and she plays so softly she's got these beastly bass lines and she's just got this really quiet soft way of playing all of them but she's the most badass bitch i've ever met in my life and i i say that with my hand on my heart that girl dislocated her finger halfway through a set once clicked it back into place had tears streaming down her face and finished the set before telling anybody that is awesome i, I noticed uh, in this track, the bass is just all over the place in the greatest of ways. It's just uh, uh, completely comp complements the song. From uh, about four seconds, 39 seconds to 43, uh, the guitar is playing a riff that, that kind of sounds like surf rock or rockabilly that happens before the chorus. Before we get into the chorus, do you recall the demo changing a lot before you got in uh, with your producer, John? Did, did, did things change with the demo from what was there? And, and if you don't mind, if you could share that demo with us, we'd love to play snippets from it. That'd be great. A lot of it stayed very similar. What John did was create further magic with uh, pushing me to do unusual harmonies with my vocals and certainly he was very hard on all of us about making sure that every instrument was perfectly in tune and, and getting that right sound and things but where this song just came together so perfectly with the, the backing track and the vocals there wasn't much that we wanted to change about it because it already had that emotional drive that was really necessary for the track might have changed a little bit and as far as producer john mitchell goes you know you had mentioned harmonies were you speaking about the rest of the songs on the record because you know i'm hearing maybe some double tracking here and there and there's like a couple parts near the end where i almost hear like a very buried harmony coming off in like the right the right speaker or something but there's no overt like oh there's the harmony part in this song that comes in yeah no there are there are um, a lot of harmonies towards the end and certainly like where there's the much quieter choruses there's this oh and that's got like a triple layer harmony in there and stuff as well and john i think it was on this track that he got me to sing this really odd note just hold a singular note that goes all the way through it and it just i don't know how he managed it or how he even heard this note but it just brings out the harmonics really nicely underneath so yeah he was a total genius and we definitely work with him again that's cool well and those notes you're speaking of those o those o's that you're holding out there the way they're mixed and the way they're executed uh it fooled me i thought they were horn pads oh, pushed cool. way back Okay. That's what I that's what I thought that was. At some point I said, Are those are those vocal pets? I'm like, no, I think I think they're horns, so that's really neat. Oh, 
nice oh yeah that's that's cool that uh, you had a different perception of it but yeah it's all uh, it's all vocal layers in there yeah i thought it was like really reverb delay ho- delayed horns pushed way back it's it's really great chorus number 1 In a glass box, staring out, my words fall silent all around, and you can't hear me scream for help. My mouth unmoving drowns me out. And uh, that happens again. It's, a, it's what I'm calling a double chorus. Mm-hmm. So uh, set, set these uh, lyrics up for us. So the, um, it's a metaphorical glass box. And I think sometimes when you're in that kind of desperate place, you can feel like you're in a fishbowl and you feel like you can see everybody around you but you can't get to them and it's almost like you don't want to get to them but equally you kind of need them and it feels like you've got your hands up against the glass and you're trying to get people to understand how desperate you are but you're so scared of saying anything that your mouth stays shut anyway and Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of get that kind of claustrophobic feel out to people to make them understand how you can feel so alone and yet so surrounded at those particular points. It's interesting too. This first chorus. A lot of times, the, the you know the first chorus will happen uh, half of what this is, and this is what I'm calling a double chorus. It goes through tr- twice. Was that always the way it was written? Did John Mitchell, uh, the producer, have anything to say about that, or did you want it to be a double chorus? I wanted it to be a double chorus. I wanted the first one to be slightly muted in the way that I was singing it, and then I wanted that rage and desperation to come through in that second time around each time. Um, to give those two varying moods that are both part of that ideology. Hey, everybody, don't you dare go anywhere. There's lots more Chris to Make a podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes.
Hey, everybody. If you like Krista Makes a Podcast, I'm going to assume that you like music podcasts. And if you like music podcasts, check out One Hit Thunder. Each week, we dive into a one-hit wonder, and along the way, we gain some knowledge and have some laughs. Lou Bega, Crazy Town, Harvey Danger, The New Radicals, AHA. We're over 100 episodes in now, and to paraphrase the great Matthew Wilder, nothing's going to break our stride. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. And now, back to the show. And and before we uh, go further with this course, I have some stuff here I want to discuss with it. I just want to ask you if you could name three of your biggest influences as a performer or a singer, who who would they who would they be? Oh, it's really hard just to choose three, you know. Um, <laughs> and I'm putting you on the spot. I think for this track, it would definitely be Skin from Skunk and Nancy. Oh, that's great. Skunk and Nancy is so awesome. Scroobius Pip, uh, who's a spoken word artist. Some people are just nice. Thou shall not read enemy. Thou shall not stop liking a band just because they become popular. Thou shall not question Stephen Fry. Thou shall not judge a book by its cover. Thou shall not judge legal weapon by Danny Glover. Thou shall not buy Coca-Cola products. Thou shall not buy Nestle products. Thou shall not go into the woods with your boyfriend's best friend, take drugs and cheat on him. Thou shall not fall in love so easily. Thou shall not use poetry art. And I'd probably say Zach from Rage Against the Machine as well. Because those three vocalists, the, the rapping, the rage in the rap, uh, the spoken word elements and the switching of screaming to singing that Skin does. I feel like those three for this particular track would be the blending there. Okay, because I was hearing uh, a lot of different things here and those three influences you just, I, I'm surprised you said them, but now I'm not surprised, right, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that Rage was going to be one of the one of your influences, but but that's uh, that's cool. Uh, the the first half of the chorus here is, is big guitars, bass, and I and I wrote just a killer bass groove. Again, the ba- the bass here is great, and the drums are are uh, playing a breakdown type beat on the toms. Uh, the sax is playing throughout, and then the second half of the chorus, the drums flip to what I call the power pop beat, and the power pop beats that double snare hit. Ta-ta-ta. That, 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 you know, yeah. that uh, I'm just a, I'm just a sucker for that beat. It's just it's so fun. Uh, and, and here I wrote your voice sounds doubled, but I'm not really hearing harmonies. Did do you do you recall if your voice was doubled? It was. Yeah, that was definitely double, double tracked. I think it was triple tracked. And I'm almost hearing like some maybe pre delays or something that John did. Uh, and John did mix the record, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. He did. Okay. Yeah. I'm hearing like, you know, there's your main vocal, but I'm hearing the unison vocal, not a harmony on maybe off to the right. Like I said, with kind of some swirling pre-delay that's happening. It's kind of atmospheric. Yeah, that's right. And that was absolutely all John's genius going in with that. That's great. Well, there's a two measure instrumental part uh, with a guitar, bass and drums that happen after the chorus. 
verse two. Verse two is a double verse, which yeah. is interesting. The pain in my chest I feel is like a spreading vine, reaching out its tendrils like a cancer in my mind. Black like tar and thick like blood seeps into every vein. Fighting feels so futile when it's paired with spreading shame. All the failure in my past and on it goes through everything. The pain deep in my chest, I feel, is like a spreading vine, reaching out its tendrils like a cancer in my mind. I don't know what tendrils means, and I didn't look it up. We'll get to that in a moment. Black like tar and thick like blood seeps into every vein. Fighting feels so futile when it's paired with spreading shame. All the failure in my past, and on it goes through everything. The failure in the path I walk, that voice of treason on it sings. I can't seem to block it out. I'm lost. I'm lonely on my own. The hissing bile, it always spouts. I am nothing. Voices groan. That last line's nasty. The hissing bile. <laughs> that's, that's saying something. Set these up first off. What does tendrils mean? I don't know. Um, if you think about like a, a grapevine or something, the tendrils might be those tiny little shoots that are coming off. Um, oh, okay. Kind of, okay. Yeah, um, or if it... In my mind, when I was thinking about tendrils, I was also thinking about an octopus, like these <laughs> like wavy arms that come out and spread. Ivy on a house will have tendrils. Okay. Kind of spreads. And it actually, it, it can destroy a house, can't it? Um, it yeah. allow ivy to get too much. And, and that was kind of the thing. It was like this, the feeling of uh, this almost organic depression, blackness, that was spreading through my entire being and kind of canceling out all of the good feelings that I had, all of the good intention and the things that I wanted to achieve. It felt like that it was just reaching out into everything. And so, yeah, that's, that's that line. And, uh, you know, you, you had mentioned that, that the breakdown, your first mm -hmm. real breakdown happened yeah. when it started, how quick did it escalate? Because this this verse right here, it sounds like I'm, I'm feeling like, OK, I, I'm starting to feel depressed. And then it's just ramping up, ramping up, ramping up, ramping up everything you're saying here. The hissing bile. I can't seem to block it out. I'm lost. I'm lonely on my own. I mean, all these lyrics here. Um, how long was that period? So I probably wrote that in January of that year. Um, I didn't have the breakdown until April of that year. So I was carrying a lot of that for a long time. And actually, it was building up for the previous year as well. Um, in 2019 was actually the first year that I tried to do my master's. And I had to drop out because my mental health was so bad. So it took a long time for me to get to a point where, uh, so if we think January, I wrote that song. In April, that was when I had to phone the doctor and say, actually, I can't breathe. My chest is so tight. I'm in so much pain right now. I, I need to come in and, and talk to you right now. Um, and I phoned my mum and she took me down there. So while, yes, I knew deep down it was escalating and obviously subconsciously it's coming out in all of my lyrics, but I still wasn't at a point where I was ready to admit that I really needed help. Um, which is, you know, to some people, might, they might think it's preposterous, but you've just written this song. It's it's telling you that you're suicidal. Like, how, it, how yeah. did you not realize that you needed this help? But for me, it was almost just an artistic expression. And I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to admit that these lyrics that I was writing was actually my reality at that point. So it took a little while longer before um, the bricks fell. <laughs> 
that that breathing and that tightness in the chest. I mean, something a word either one of us has mentioned uh, so far. I think that's uh, insane anxiety, right? Is that what you were feeling? Yeah, the doctor actually said that I had been going through a period of perpetual heightened anxiety. Um, so he felt that it, for a very long time, for months, I hadn't actually come down from any of the anxiety. I have what's called high functioning anxiety. So I can still carry on working and I will push myself to the limit and do all of my entrepreneurial work and study a master's and all the rest of it while harboring these really high anxiety feelings and um, just pushing them down. And the problem with that, obviously, is that you push them down far enough and you break. Yeah. And if uh, nobody out there has ever experienced a panic attack, I hope you never do. Um, yeah, I've had I've I've had one before. It's been a minute, but uh, it was absolutely debilitating and it came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I, I don't know where it came from. Uh, it happened when I was out with a friend one day a couple of years ago and I just I had a moment and you don't know where these things come sometimes. So, um, again, this double verse here kind of to me uh of course the rest of the song the, the lyrics including the first verse but these two verses or double verse here this really uh shows me and tells me what's going on with what you were experiencing upstairs mentally yeah i'm really sorry that you went through it as well it is it's absolutely awful to to feel that it's almost like you're frozen isn't it when you're having a real panic attack it's like you're frozen in time and yet every cell of your being is moving you're vibrating with the anxiety, but you're also frozen with fear. You're unable to actually control what's going on. So yeah, um, that verse certainly does um, hark to those kind of feelings. Right. Well, in, in this verse, uh, the second half, the sax comes in and the guitar is playing uh, palm muted eighth notes yes. while still playing the single note riff from, from the first half of verse two. And, and it's great. Something happens here after verse two that back in the day, you were you were told from producers that you should never stop a song for even a second because radio programmers and people will think the song is over. This song after verse two is one of the craziest arrangement things that I've seen happen. There's a silent eight count. The only thing that you hear is a cymbal decaying there, and it's a, an actual eight count of nothing. idea was that was that from the original demo was there ever any talk of you know uh, people are going to think the song's over they're not going to listen to the rest of it i think it might have been alex's idea actually the drummer um, really? and yeah and live we actually have a sub drop that goes in there so it's like uh -huh. and then comes back in <laughs> Where uh, everybody loses their bowels yeah <laughs> the low pretty, the low note much. yeah the louder the better the more vibration the better um <laughs> But yeah, I think it was Alex's to begin with. So that, yeah, that got put in there. I think I'm pretty sure that's also in the demo. And we did actually end up having to do a radio edit in order to remove the drop for, for commercial purposes, which is, you know, it's fine. It's quite normal to do that. But I think it, and again, it accentuates the very last point in that verse that mm -hmm. lost, lonely stop to your life that this kind of feeling emulates. Um, before coming back in and, and creating that claustrophobia again. So what's that radio edit like? Is it is it not the eight seconds? Is it shortened or does it go right in? Yeah, um, I can I can send you that as well if you like. I would love to hear it. Yes. Why do 
That's that's really interesting because when the, the first time I heard this, I immediately thought, "Wow!" Especially with the people's attention spans these days, how we get, consume our music. It's like, you know, if you don't like something in twenty seconds, next you go on to the next yeah. thing. So I I thought that was a a pretty risky move, but it's interesting that you that you did do a radio edit on it. Yeah, much later though, um, when the when the album came out, uh, people actually really liked the drop, so we just left it as is. And then when we wanted to promote it as a single, then we came back to it. Um, and it was actually our, our very lovely manager, David, that suggested we try to rework it a little bit. So voila. Cool. Well, after uh, that eight second, uh, with just the symbol decaying over that part, a kick snare uh, comes in and uh, you're into chorus number two. again is a double chorus um same pattern as chorus one the second half goes up in that uh that higher octave um i'm gonna read these lyrics again in a glass box staring out my words fall silent all around and you can't hear me scream for help my mouth unmoving drowns me out and uh again that happens one more time for a double chorus and then we're into the bridge There's no lyrics here. It's like a single fuzz tone guitar for a measure. And then there's like a few taps on the ride cymbal. And then uh, uh, the riff happens another time. And then there's a reverse cymbal. And we're into chorus three, which is a quadruple chorus, but something really neat happens on the back half. So again, we're getting the same lyrics that I just read uh, in, in chorus number two. And it's two times with the sax, and and I and I wrote maybe another vocal layer here. Is there another some more vocals we talked about that come in at, uh, at this last chorus? Yes, that's right. first two that's where we've got that Uh with the triple layer of of harmonies and then the the bell-like tone that comes through the center of it but it's it's largely just the chorus but done much more delicately I tried to sing that with more finesse in the studio to give it that held back feeling before really coming in with the second two choruses right and the first half of this which is Still two choruses because <laughs> it's a quadruple here at the end, not to get confusing. But the, but the first half of this uh, chorus, it's halftime here. So the feel changes. The band goes to halftime and it just kind of gets heavy there. Yeah. And then the, what I'm calling now the second half of the chorus, the last two times, the chorus uh, is still happening underneath. But you're now over top of it. You almost get kind of, and now I can hear the the rage thing a little bit. You kind of get rappy here with this yeah. part, and it and it really sounds angsty and and angry. I'm 
lyric is, I'm trapped inside a glass box. I'm trapped inside this box. And you can't hear me screaming because nothing's coming out. I'm trapped inside a box and I'm calling out your name, but the silence keeps on falling while I can't escape my shame. That last line, while I can't escape my shame, that's heavy. Yeah, so I think largely when anybody has mental health issues, uh, it's that stigma that we talked about right at the beginning. It's the idea that you have this deep set shame of feeling broken and feeling like you should be okay in this society, that you should be able to function, you should be able to cope with all of these stresses and you're looking at everybody else and everybody else seems to have it together and nobody else seems to be going through the same things that you are. Uh, And so there is this undercurrent of shame that comes with anxiety or depression and things like that, PTSD. And so I wanted to talk about that. And you you can't hear me screaming because nothing's coming out. It's because you often feel when you're in these periods of your life, like you've got this internal scream happening. And it's just, it's an overpowering noise in your head of various voices telling you how awful you are, uh, that you're worthless, that you can't do this and that. And of course, it's not coming out of your mouth because you're too afraid to say it. You're too ashamed to say it. You're too scared to admit that this is going on. Um, And so that's what I wanted to get across in that last part of the song, that not only are people not alone, but that there's a lot of understanding around that idea that it's really, really hard to talk about, but it is really important to. Completely agree. And again, I, I keep saying thanks for sharing this, but I, I, I really think this is going to gonna help a lot of people listening. You know, I, I know there's other people out there that, that feel like you do. And it's 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 deeply personal that you share this. I, you know, when I initially heard this track and this last part came on, it was it was that total moment of like, wow. I mean, it really lifts when you're when you're wrapping this part at the at the end over that. It's kind of a great tie up to, to finish off the song. Again, I'm going to ask, was that on the demo or is that something that that came with with John and in the studio? No, that's absolutely something that I wrote in myself. Um, It was absolutely part of my idea for bringing all of those ideas together, um, all of those thoughts and emotions together for the track. Live, I get James to do that rap bit. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to ask you that. Why don't you do the rap bit and he does the other part? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't want to, you know, don't want to be mean, but. Be mean. <laughs> James, James actually has a very lovely voice. He's, a, he's an incredibly good singer. But in terms of the tone of the chorus, it works better for me to continue singing it. I actually love doing the rap part. And I'm kind of yeah. a bit gutted that I can't do that live. But I, you know, clones aren't a thing yet. It works great live from the videos that that, that I saw. It works great. The last 10 seconds of, of the track, um, a new, yet another part, there's so many parts in this song, it's very intricate, a new clean guitar with kind of like a chorus and delay comes in. Yeah. The tone is beautiful. I love yeah. I love this tone. Um, and it's playing this cool little riff, again, a new riff, and the bass is playing off that riff. And then at uh, three minutes and 32 seconds, the guitar riff hits one last chord with the bass and the bass sustains and stretches out for like six seconds and kind of just fades out. Great ending. And again, so many little layers and little little parts come into the song. It's, uh, it's, it's really well put together. Thank you. Uh, that was James. Um, James decided to have that, that elongated part at the end of it to finish the song. And I thought it worked really, really well. It ties in with a lot of the themes of the song, uh, that eking out, 
that long longevity of emotion and all the rest of it. Um, and tone wise, James had a really good idea of how he wanted his guitar to sound. George is very particular about how she wants her bass to sound. And John just put his magic together and, and made sure that those tones weren't just what they wanted, but were exceeding those ideas. Yeah, well, it sounds great. Well, we're going to wrap up here uh, in a moment. I just Again, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you that you shared today. Uh, I had no idea that's where this conversation uh, was going to take us. You, you read lyrics, and sometimes you just never know what somebody's going to say, and uh, that was uh, uh, deeply personal to share, and, and, and thank you. Uh, thank you, and you've been incredibly kind today, uh, and I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and have a chat with you. Hey, no problem. So before we uh, before we take off here, what uh, what do you got coming up for yourself, for the band? What, what What's going on? Touring with you guys. All right, the heavyweights, <laughs> less the Jake. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're all incredibly excited. James and I have actually been listening to you guys for, for many years anyway, since I'd say the first time I heard a track from you was 1999 and it was all my best friends are metalheads. So um, we've all been listening to you for a very long time and we're all really, really excited about that. We've just started the process of, of writing again and naturally there's going to be a lot more touring uh, with you guys after that towards the end of the year. We're going to be, we're going to be doing more UK and hopefully please if the borders are open some european shows <laughs> yes yes <laughs> i think uh, fingers crossed everyone's thinking the same thing right yeah yes we're all we're all hoping against hope praying to the gods of touring hey everybody don't touch that dial there's plenty more chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey, if you need a unique, thoughtful, and inexpensive gift for a friend or loved one, check out iloveenamelpins.com. Make someone's day by giving them a little present to show you care. Over 80 different pins are available, everything from cats and dogs to your favorite celebrities. And to top it off, you can use the discount code ChrisDemakes at checkout to save 30% on your order. iloveenamelpins.com. Give them something to wear that shows that you care. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's feature artist is Receivers from Springfield, Massachusetts, featuring Tyler Oaks on guitar and vocals, Mickey Labides on guitar, Connor Prez on bass, and Ryan Goff on the drums. Here's a snippet of their song, Mercy House.
The Wrap with Chris and Chris. So it's always awesome when somebody opens up like that on the podcast because you don't know how many people are out listening that can maybe relate to that and not feel so alone. So, man, it was really awesome of Millie to do that. Yeah, as I mentioned to her, uh, you know, near the end, it's just, you know, you never know where <laughs> when you're reading lyrics, what, what the story is going to be behind. It. That's why I love doing this so much. I sometimes you think something's literal and it's direct. And you know what it means. And other times you get hit blindsided. I mean, there was times when I didn't I didn't know what to say, Chris. No, I, I know I wouldn't have known what to say either. Sometimes th- there are no words to what someone says, but that's the the beauty of art i guess you know to to not not to sound cliche or whatever but that's she turned her struggle into something awesome into an awesome song and yeah uh, you know that i think that's why she can come out the other side of it and talk about it in a more nonchalant way you know not saying that it's a nonchalant subject matter but i mean she can talk about it without you know getting upset about it which uh you know i think creating music gives you that release well and at some point i didn't want to sidestep what she was uh articulating but i i I said hey let's talk about how fun this song is what a dark lyric but but how fun and upbeat the song is which that's kind of the allure of uh of of ska and, and and punk music was for me all those years it was they can have these sad or depressing real uh life lyrics but uh it could still it could still be a party i mean less than jake wrote the book on that right i i think so i think we had a a little a little bit in that uh the, the self-deprecating lyric that a lot of times a self-deprecating lyric just is what it is it's just you know oh i'm gonna be self-deprecating but in this instance it this was just pure i mean when she's talking about having suicidal dreams i mean as bad as things have ever gotten for for me or <laughs> i've i've never i told her i've ne- i've never felt that way i hope i never do that was just incredible personal well as far as the sound of millie manders in the shut up i thought it was funny that you're, you're telling her like uh what'd you say that there's nothing more intimidating to you than the sound of like a british woman <laughs> <laughs> like and and you know i but i i get it with her delivery in this it's it sounds very assertive it is intimidating sounding that's really cool like i love her delivery and when she said her influences I was surprised. Like, yeah, I like Scroobius Pip and Zach De La Roca. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have necessarily uh, known that. I would have thought maybe in her delivery. I don't know. Maybe I just say this because also another uh, British artist. But the streets, <laughs> you know, I always that's where my brain always goes when I hear a British accent and sort of like talk delivered lyrics. As I'm like, oh. She has to like the streets. Maybe she does. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of times when, when people sing in accents, even I've heard German singers who have a much more pronounced accent than the English or the, even Australians, uh, when, when they sing in English, uh, you, you might not pick it up, the, the, that subtlety. But with her, it's like, okay, this is a British woman and she's pissed off. And uh, and that, and that's that's kind of, like I said, it's always been kind of scary to me. And I, I'm glad she found it funny because I didn't mean it mean or weird. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what the root of that is. <laughs> I don't know. I was never scarred with any, uh, like I said, maybe it was from watching old. uh, (laughs) You didn't have a a mean British nanny (laughs) as a kid? (laughs) Mrs. Doubtfire? No, I didn't. No, no, okay. That's good. Yeah, so I love hearing about her influences. And you brought up that, oh man, I don't know how many times I've had this conversation with my friends. When is that fourth wave of ska coming? Because it's due and not saying there aren't ska bands or like ska punk bands but i feel like a lot of times 
when I hear them, even if I think they're good, I'm like, well, this might be the fourth wave based on the time that's passed since the third. But as far as like, you know, when the third wave of Scott came, it was the combination of punk rock and Scott, mm -hmm. you know, but I feel like if there's to be an actual fourth wave, a new element has to be introduced, whether that's something electronic, you know, or just something different about it. And this song, Silent Screams, I feel like kind of lends itself to considering that that might be a thing, that a fourth wave might be a thing. Yeah, no, and I I I'd mentioned to Millie that uh, the production on this song is great. It's it it sounds modern, but yet um you know there there's that retro thing. Uh you know, there's there's no uh like upstrokes in this song, ska guitar, but it has a ska feeling and then the horns certainly help with that. Wow, that's funny, man. I listened to this song a bunch of times before we did this episode, and of course, you know, I thought of it as a ska song. I knew that they were a ska band. And I thought of this as a ska song, but there's no upstrokes in it. I never thought about that. No, not at all. I even mentioned to her, you know, that in the verses, the, the guitars are just doing these counterpoint, these counter melodies to what she's doing. And it's just re really interesting. And and the bass player, George, she, she's incredible. I mean, and I'm, I'm glad that Millie, yeah. uh, again, shared a laugh with me about uh, her presence in the video. She just kind of looks just bored and kind of, it almost looks like she got her friend to, to, to come be in the video that wasn't the bass player. But I'm like, no, she has to be playing these bass lines. And she is. She's just a, a ripper. She's killer. You know, I appreciate a great bassist yeah Always. i know a great bassist i'm talking to one now folks chris Ophelius <laughs> from the band punchline from pittsburgh yeah Pennsylvania. let's talk about me <laughs> <laughs> but uh that's what we're here for let's talk about my bass that's lines. right <laughs> no 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 whether the listener and we've talked about this before whether the listener realizes it or not but when there is great bass work in a song it adds so much to the song and sometimes you're not even hearing that you're hearing the things in the forefront the vocals the drums you know maybe even the guitar the bass sometimes can just be laying in the mix but if the bass line is great man it takes a, a song to the next level and i'm not just saying that because i'm a bassist <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and and uh last thing before we wrap up here chris i just want to say to all the listeners that uh there is help out there uh we've had a company sponsor our show called better help uh, there is help out there. Uh, if things got bad enough for you and you had no one else to reach out to, I'm here for you. And I mean that with all my heart. I don't want anybody to uh, to, to go through a struggle that uh, that Millie experienced. So there is help out there and uh, uh, you, you can find it if you need it. Yeah, man, absolutely. The help is out there. And on a lighter note, speaking of help, if you'd like to help out the podcast and help us continue getting the great guests that you want to hear and help us continue making this thing, it's very easy. A very small thing you could do is leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us that fifth star. Don't go below five stars. Don't try to be <laughs> don't try to be clever and be like, I'm gonna give you four stars because I think you can do better. We want those five star ratings, not to be <laughs> not to be too needy there. But also on Apple Podcasts, you could write us a little review. Let us know what you like about the show. And uh, we'd appreciate that because I don't know. We want to get all the guests that you want to hear. That's right. It, hel it helps us out very much. And, and we appreciate the support. And you can also help us out by joining our supporting cast VIP program at ChrisDemakes.com. For a couple bucks a month, you'll get bonus episodes. You could be on Defeat Demakes, the music trivia game show, discounts on merch and all kinds of great surprises coming in the coming months uh please give me a follow on instagram at less than chris d and i want to thank this week's guest millie manders for sitting in with us and we'll see you next week 
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.